Los Angeles is a mega city in a state of perpetual change, where long standing neighborhoods are rebranded with new names and history can be obscured with a new building or freeway. Hello, I'm radio producer Ruxandra Guidi. And I'm Bear Guerra, a photographer. And this is South of Fletcher Stories from the Bowtie. We live here in LA. We're married, and we've been creating audio and photo documentaries together for 13 years. We've partnered with the arts organization Clock Shop to tell a story of urban development, to try to make sense of life in this fast-paced and forever-changing city. This is a story about a quiet sliver of L.A. not many people know about, the Bowtie Parcel, a narrow, 18-acre plot of land next to the Los Angeles River, an empty lot that's full of history and possibility. Now here's Chapter 3. The Pocket. At some point, Bear and I started calling this place The Pocket. It's a mini community next to an elevated freeway, and beyond that, the Bowtie Parcel. There are rows of single-family homes and a few apartment complexes here on five parallel tree-lined streets. It's a quiet, working-class neighborhood, Most of the houses are small and colorful, built by Southern Pacific Lines for their workers so they'd live close to Taylor Yard. The Pocket's other border is a major street, Fletcher Drive. It's a mom-and-pop commercial strip, the same one from the title of this podcast. We have a liquor store and we have mechanic shops. You know, we have a barbershop or two. You know, we have El Buen Gusto if you like pupusas. Carlos Trujillo lives here. And actually, that Salvadoran restaurant he mentions, El Buen Gusto, it recently changed owners. Now it's called El Amoroso, or The Loving Guy. Not far from El Amoroso is Liz Vega's home. We met Liz in the last episode of this podcast when she was walking alone through the bow tie. She grew up in the pocket in a small cottage that had been built for rail yard workers, though no one in her family worked at Taylor Yard. As a kid, Liz would head into Taylor Yard just to explore. She would walk around the rail depot when it was still in operation in the 80s, and also in the 90s when its gates closed and everything fell into disrepair. Back then, Taylor Yard and the pocket had an air of seediness. But Liz liked it that way. It was nice, just the way it is now. It wasn't run down or anything, except the gangs were more prevalent. Were you scared, or did you feel like... How did you no, guys feel about I, I, I was little, and the only reason I was aware of, of maybe gangs is because I had older cousins that grew up here and that lived out here, and they were probably involved in the gangs. Because actually, I shouldn't really say it was more prevalent, because it was actually everywhere, if you think about it. It's true. The 80s and 90s were the height of the gang-banging era in L.A., This small neighborhood and the abandoned rail yard on the other side of the freeway were not immune to that reality. Local criminal gangs like Toonerville, Armenian Power, the Rascals and Frogtown Rats terrorized locals and their rivals through drive-by shootings, homicides and burglaries. I mean, I have endless stories I could tell about, you know, watching cartoons, experiencing earthquakes, hearing drive-by shootings, a lot of that stuff. So it's pretty intense. That's Carlos Trujillo again sitting at his kitchen table in the house he grew up in, in the pocket. He's in his mid-thirties, a stocky guy with an easy smile. There was one instance where a guy walked by, looked at us and said, hey, what's up, guys? We're like, oh, hey, what's up? And we were just kind of playing with our figurines, whatever we were playing, our G.I. Joes. 
And then we just heard like five pops, boom, 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 boom. And then we see the same guy running and jumped in a van and just drove off. And as kids, we had no idea how to react or what to do. So Carlos and his friend got up, sprinted into his friend's apartment and jumped under the bed, which sounded like a good idea at the time. But it's a bad idea because my mom is now in the house, hears the gunshots, she runs out, doesn't see us anywhere. So she starts panicking, starts screaming, starts yelling. All the parents in the pocket came out to the street, terrified. Afterwards, some families moved out. But Carlos and his family stuck around. This was home. So they adapted. And I think you developed like a different sense of life because, you know, you go out into the world and you kind of always look over your shoulder. You kind of like looking who's at the door, who's not at the door, who's walking in, you know, because you develop a different sense because you saw these things happening. You know, you see a car um, drive by with its lights off. You're like, okay, what's going on here, you know? It's stuck with Carlos, and he's not alone. I'm telling you about the early 90s. When we moved here, I was very scared because I didn't know the people here. Elvira Abadillo lives two houses down from Carlos Trujillo, right next to the freeway that divides the bow tie from the pocket. Her son, Gabriel, and Carlos would play together when they were kids. We met Elvira early on in our interviews for this story, when Bear and I were trying to get a sense of how neighbors felt about the former rail yard and now the abandoned, overgrown lot just down the street. We were walking around one day when we saw Elvira on her porch, watering her plants. Elvira is in her mid-50s, originally from Zacatecas, Mexico, the single mom of three boys. I was very scared that my sons might get close to the gangs here. But one of them told me, Mom, don't worry. They know me, and I'm not going to be getting into trouble. I trusted him a lot, so I just let it go. Still, Elvira didn't let her sons play at the abandoned rail yard. She knew that was a place where gangs hung out. But then, in 1993, Elvira's worst fear came true. She received a call from a friend of her youngest son, Gabriel, saying he'd been a victim of a drive-by shooting. It happened outside a local corner store, where 16-year-old Gabriel had gone to buy a drink. All I know is he had just opened up his can of soda to take a sip when a car drove by and shot at him. It was around 9 p.m., but the ambulance didn't come until about 11. When he got to the hospital, his heart beat for only 22 minutes more. After that, I locked myself up in the house and I told my older son, let's get out of here. But he would tell me, it's bad everywhere, Mom. Wherever we go, they're going to think we did something bad and that we're fleeing the gangs. So here we are, still. 
y nos quedamos aquí y aquí seguimos. After Gabriel's murder, Elvira slowly began the painful return to her daily routine. She eventually went back to work selling wholesale nuts at an open-air Los Angeles market. And she poured herself into taking care and improving the home she'd bought in the pocket for her family. Elvira bought the house when Gabriel was small, thinking that it could be split into apartments where her sons could live with their own families, all under one roof. But one day, about a year before he died, he told me, Mom, maybe I won't live here with you when I'm older because I have other plans. I want to study and live in a better neighborhood. And I said, okay, mijo, if your dreams come true, that's wonderful. But sometimes our wishes don't come true just like we want them. But other times, wishes do come true. One of Elvira's sons and her grandchildren live with her now. So does one of her brothers who followed her from Zacatecas to L.A. And here's another wish come true. Elvira was able to pay off her house recently, a property that is now worth at least five times what she paid for it. As soon as I paid off the house, people became interested in it, and they would make me offers. Once, I got an offer for a million and a half dollars for my house. But not even with that much cash could Elvira buy a house as big as hers in most of central Los Angeles. Like so many other cities around the country, L.A. is suffering from a severe shortage of affordable housing amidst a wave of gentrification and displacement. I didn't get this house as an investment, but as a place to live. And so why should I leave my home? So someone else can live in it? Most of the residents of the pocket have lived here for decades, since the time it was a working-class neighborhood for rail workers and their families. Prices in nearby hot neighborhoods spiked in the past five or six years, while the pocket remains somewhat affordable because it's isolated next to a freeway. And being neighbors with an abandoned rail yard frequented by gangsters has helped keep prices down. But that's all changing now. Home prices in the neighborhood have risen rapidly in the past year, and news that the Bowtie parcel will be cleaned up and turned into a state park is making the pocket a much more attractive investment. I drove around the neighborhood a lot for my work, and, you know, on my way out, my way in, I'd always try another little, I would just drive around, see what was for sale, and see if I could afford anything. Melissa Roth managed to buy into the neighborhood six years ago. She's a former camera operator for the movie industry who now runs a dog-sitting business out of her house. And I drove by this place and I thought, oh, it's a little freeway close, but it sure looks cute. So I would just like come and sit here in my car, how quiet it was, and it wasn't bad. From that seat in her car, she saw a shotgun-style cream-colored house, a typical style for this area. It was built in 1929. She bought it for $349,000, a steal, really, compared to houses a few neighborhoods away. And this is why, this is why I bought the house, really. I mean, hardwood floors, and I fell in love with the shutters, even though they're big. Melissa is showing us around her two-bedroom house and garden, which she's been renovating for the past couple of years. There are at least five big dogs following our every move. Melissa knows about the gangs of the 80s and 90s, but she doesn't seem phased. Neighborhoods change, she says. Despite the all rep, 
She likes it here, especially since she's only a short walk away from the LA River in a future state park. I mean, literally, my little pockets right there. I get all the birds, they all come over here too. So it's my neighbor. Bowtie's my neighbor. She's counting the days until the bowtie is transformed, but she's not waiting to enjoy it. Like Liz Vega, Melissa ventures there regularly. She goes for bike rides and for walks along the river. Not everyone is as optimistic about the bowtie's future. One of Melissa's neighbors is Carlos Trujillo, whose house is visible if you peek over her cinder block backyard fence. They haven't yet met each other. Carlos doesn't care much for the bowtie or the river. He still associates it with its fenced-in, abandoned history. You know, like there's nothing there but like old shoes and like trash. He's heard about the plan to turn the lot into a park. He's also heard about new developments nearby that will bring a lot more people and traffic to this area. Seemingly overnight, his childhood neighborhood has become a hip place to be. And the newcomers, Carlos says, are in denial about the public safety issues that still linger here. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of action going on. But, you know, you still understand kind of when things, when you start seeing tagging appear on walls, you understand that, okay, something's heating up here, something's going on. He's been seeing more gang-related graffiti, and it worries him. A lot of the Pockets residents told us they've noticed the graffiti. In fact, most of the longtime residents still avoid the bow tie. They see the old rail yard as a symbol of L.A.'s blight, a place where people drink and do drugs and where gangsters still cause trouble. Their memories are too strong. The gang-related tags bring those feelings back. The graffiti looks like hieroglyphics, a bunch of stylized capital letters that cover up stoops and outdoor walls in the pocket. But it's everywhere inside the bowtie, a rare, open, and unpoliced space in a city where room is hard to come by and where many people are looking to leave their mark. Next on South of Fletcher, stories from the Bowtie, the promise of open space for everyone, even in a crowded city. That's out in two weeks. This series is produced by Clock Shop and Phonografia Collective. Our editor is Ibi Caputo. Music is from Luis Guerra. Funding comes from California Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Wilhelm Family Foundation. For more information and to see Bear's photos, visit clockshop.org. I'm Ruxandra Guidi. Thanks for listening.